Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be considered as a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Welcome to Briefly Legal Podcast. My name is Tim Sawecki. I'm stepping in for Adam Childers today, but I'm here in the crow's nest and we are trying out a new idea with me acting as your host where we're going to focus a little bit more on environmental and energy law issues. The Briefly Legal Podcast has been so overwhelmingly successful. Like all success stories, we need to spin off into a um, subcategory and energy and environmental law is our bread and butter here at Crow and Dunleavy in Oklahoma, one of our energy and environmental hotbeds of the United States. So without further ado, I do have a special guest today, uh, my new colleague, Alyssa Sloan, a young associate at our law firm who is also in our energy and environmental law practice. And I tell you folks, we are so excited to have her at the law firm and she has hit the ground running with respect to environmental law issues. And we're going to discuss some of those today. But Alyssa, would you mind introducing yourself to the podcast world? Of course. Thank you, Tim. My my name is Alyssa Sloan. I recently started working at Crow and Dunleavy, and I've joined the Energy and Environmental Practice Group. I'm thrilled to be here, and I am so excited to talk about PFAS. Wonderful to have you, Alyssa. And again, we're just so excited to have her sharp talent joining our environmental and energy team. So we're going to launch right in. The intent of these environmental energy law podcasts is to provide you, the listener, with some up-to-date, headline, concise information on environmental energy issues that uh, we are seeing on the legal front. And so today's topic is related to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, an administrative agency we'll become intimately familiar with in our travels on this podcast. And namely, we're talking about U.S. EPA's recent announcement over the summer of its national enforcement and compliance initiatives for 2024 through 2020. It's identified six areas it'll be focusing on. Those are mitigating climate change, addressing exposure to PFAS, protecting communities from coal ash contamination, reducing air toxics in overburdened communities. Those are communities that where there is a high level of industrial activity, increasing compliance with the safe drinking water standards, and addressing chemical accident risk reduction. And the last note to make, with these uh, national enforcement and compliance initiatives, the EPA is also noticing the regulated community that environmental justice considerations will be a theme that runs throughout its enforcement and compliance initiatives for the foreseeable future. So again, the regulated community should be recognizing with respect to government approvals, regulations, that we should be paying attention to the communities where our operations or those operations are happening. So today we're going to focus on PFAS uh, because there is a lot in these national enforcement and compliance initiatives. But as past listeners to this podcast know, uh, we have a particular fondness at Crow and Dunleavy for the emerging contaminant known as PER and polyfluoroalkyl substances, also known as PFAS, also known as forever chemicals. And so with these initiatives that the EPA has announced, 
They've added PFAS, that PFAS is in the crosshairs. We want to focus on that today. To do so, we're going to cover a little bit of background, a real nutshell on what PFAS are. And then Alyssa is going to take it away and we're going to have a conversation about regulations that are in the pipeline. Because indeed, folks, there are a number of PFAS regulations coming out of the EPA that are in line with these national enforcement and compliance initiatives. So let's start with what is this many-syllabled per- and polyfluoral alkyl substance Um, that you speak of, Tim? Well, they're known for short as PFAS, P-F-A-S. This is a broad class of chemical compounds, also referred to popularly in the press as forever chemicals. They're characterized by a carbon chain that is fluorinated. uh, And the bonds between these fluorine atoms and these carbon atoms are covalent bonds, which are very, very strong and durable bonds. And what this results in is a broad class of compounds that is known for their durability, their heat resistance, and their waterproof qualities. These PFAS substances and the different variations of these PFAS substances were first developed in the 1940s, really for countless in industrial and consumer goods applications. Think of Teflon, think of nonstick cookware, think of waterproofed fabrics, all these materials that allowed, um, that had waterproof properties or heat resistant properties. A lot of them were, were designed and manufactured using various PFAS substances. Now, the high utility of these PFAS substances is a double edge in the environment because when certain PFAS substances are released into the environment, they can be persistent in the water supplies or the soil. They can be bioaccumulative in people in the environment. And certain of these PFAS compounds have been shown through epidemiological studies of humans and animals to have toxic effects on humans and animals. So this contaminant has become a chemical of serious concern with the EPA. And going back over 10 years, they've been laying the groundwork for regulations related to PFAS. And what we're going to see here in 2024 really is the advent of the first binding PFAS regulations um, that, again, are in line with these enforcement and compliance initiatives coming out of the EPA. And so last week, um, my colleague Alyssa Sloan and myself penned a a short article in a, a local business journal here in which we outlined several of these PFAS regulations that are in the pipeline. So all these words I've been talking about, let's launch into what these regulations actually are. So let's talk about the first regulation in the near horizon of PFAS regulations. And that relates to a federal environmental statute known as the Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation and Liability Act. Or more affectionately, Alyssa Sloan, what is this act referred to as? Yes, we love to call this act the Superfund or CERCLA. Okay, CERCLA or the Superfund Act. And that's Superfund, people. There's a D (laughs) on the end of there. This is not a Superfund statute for the regulated community or for 
consumers, for the public. So, Alyssa, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the EPA intends to do under the Superfund Act with respect to PFAS? Yes, EPA is really adding some teeth to Superfund. So, in April 2023, EPA announced a proposed rulemaking to designate two specific PFAS as hazardous substances, and this includes PFOA and PFOS. And so the EPA is hoping to finalize this rule by February of next year in 2024. Um, And this can really have some broad implications for a lot of members of the industry. Indeed. Yeah. Why don't we unpack, you know, some of the features of CERCLA that make this such an impactful proposed rule from the EPA? So tell me a little bit about the what CERCLA does. Yes. So CERCLA is really a remediation and cost recovery mechanism that lets private parties and the government bring litigation and also recover any costs associated with cleanup of CERCLA hazardous substances. So by the EPA um, moving forward and designating certain PFAS, um, this can really start to increase the regulation of PFAS that has entered the environment. Okay. So I'm, let's say I'm a large manufacturer through decades, I've been handling a a PFOA, one of these designated, potentially designated hazardous substances under the proposed rule. Let's say that that specific substance has been released into the environment under CERCLA. Could I be liable for that? Yes, you could be liable. And CERCLA really is a strict liability statute. Um, Liability can trigger if there is a hazardous substance that is at a location, is released into the environment, and incurs those cleanup costs. Um, So this statute really is getting um, some new strict regulation impacts with PFAS being added to the regulatory scheme. And if my understanding is correct with respect to CERCLA, it can really reach back in time and space to former owners, operators of a facility, even transporters of the substance to the facility where there has been a release of the designated hazardous substance. So it really is a broad, encompassing joint, several liability. It has teeth on it and will have impacts on the regulated community, especially to folks that have been handling these specific PFAS in their operations for decades. Definitely. So stay tuned, folks. Again, I think the EPA is expecting a final rule on CERCLA, the designation of PFOA and PFOS as hazardous substances in February of 2024. This is a controversial move by EPA. It's going to have widespread impacts on economic impacts on the regulated community. So stay tuned, folks. This one's going to be wild. It'll get litigated and it will be bound to cause much controversy in the regulated community. Okay, enough about CERCLA and Superfund. What's next? Maybe maybe we talk a little bit about our drinking water supplies and, and the nexus of PFAS with, with respect to drinking water. So, Alyssa, tell me a little bit about what EPA plans with respect to safe drinking water. Yes. So the Safe Drinking Water Act is really making big waves. 
Um, in March of 2023, EPA proposed new drinking water standards for six different varieties of PFAS. And EPA plans to issue the final rule for this in December of 2023, so before the new year even comes in. Wow. Okay. So impacts for this, I, I, my my gathering is when, when we've got Safe Drinking Water Act standards established like this, it's really going to hit our public water supply operators. They're going to have to monitor for these specific PFAS. They're going to have to note when certain levels of these PFAS are exceeded. And I'm sure the, the drinking water consumers that we all are out there, occasionally these public Public water suppliers may have to provide notice to drinking water consumers when those specific PFAS levels are exceeded and provide instructions maybe on obtaining bottled water or taking necessary precautions. So, wow, PFAS is about to become a regulated component of our drinking water supplies. That's the message EPA is sending here. When can we expect these regulations to come out? Is EPA giving any hint with, with that? Yes, EPA is um, planning to issue the final rule in December. So really within the next month, we should see some movement for this upcoming act. And um, as you mentioned, Tim, consumers can start to receive notice and instructions from their water system operators if those operators have found any levels of PFAS exceeding certain levels um, required by EPA. Wow. And I will say with respect to you know, these six specific PFAS being identified. The Safe Drinking Water Act has another mandate under it referenced as the Unregulated Contaminant Monitoring Rule. And EPA at the, at the moment is monitoring for the presence of, I believe, upwards of 70 different PFAS in public drinking water supplies because these are potential PFAS that will also eventually be regulated under the Safe Drinking Water Act. So not only do we have these six PFAS identified for regulation under the Safe Drinking Water Act, there is a pipeline of additional PFAS that will likely be regulated under the Safe Drinking Water Act after EPA acquires more data under this unregulated contaminant monitoring rule. So a lot of acronyms there. Needless to say, you're on notice, public water system operators. This is going to be a a heavy lift. You're going to have to put um, new technology in your plants in order to monitor for PFAS at exceptionally low detection levels. We're talking about uh, parts per trillion, so a whole different order of magnitude with respect to detection levels. And we're we're really going to have to expend some some serious money with respect to um, operation of their public water systems. Also, with respect to Um, sludges that accumulate in wastewater treatment plants, in public water system operations, that sludge may now contain certain PFAS that may be indeed hazardous substances under CERCLA. So we're bumping up into a regulatory regime where the public water system operators are going to have to be very careful with the water that they're filtering, as well as some of the waste products that are coming out of the water they are filtering. Okay, so, so much for for the Safe Drinking Water Act. There's plenty going on there. 
What else is in the pipeline from the EPA with respect to PFAS? I think we've got a couple more items to talk about. We do, Tim. So we also have the Emergency Planning and Community Right to Know Act update. Um, This was actually a final rule issued on Halloween of all dates. Exciting. Yes. And it will become effective on November 30th of this month. Wow. So using kind of a Halloween analogy to (laughs) to understand what the Emergency Planning Community Right to Know Act is, and specifically what the toxic release inventory reporting is under the Emergency Planning Community Right to Know Act, I want you to think of, you know, trick-or-treating, some of the the stories that we've heard about um, potentially um, unsafe. I I remember when I was a kid, uh, parents would say, hey, maybe there's razor blades in the candy. And us kids were, we were quite afraid of of these (laughs) razor blades in the candy. Mm -hmm. So with respect to the Emergency Planning Community Right to Know Act, this is a disclosure statute. And the reason for being behind the statute is that we want first responders, we want folks that are responding to community emergencies to know the scope of potentially hazardous chemicals inside of the facilities in which they're responding to. And so this toxic release inventory reporting will better inform EPA's understanding of where certain PFAS are in manufacturing facilities throughout the United States, and will also allow first responders, and emergency responders in the area to not rush headlong into potentially unsafe situations. So this is really a a very safety-minded statute. But previously, there were de minimis, small exemptions related to any reporting of PFAS um, in this TRI reporting. But this new rule gets rid of those exemptions. So no matter how little amount of PFAS you are using at your facility, you'll now need to disclose that um, to the EPA or to your relevant state administrative agency like the Oklahoma Department of Environmental Quality, for instance. So yeah, more disclosure. And again, this is EPA's throughout all of this is trying to figure out where is all of this PFAS that we know has been very important to our industrial processes in the United States for 60 plus years But we don't really know exactly where it is in the United States. We want to know where it's being manufactured so we can better understand how it releases into the environment and those risks. Absolutely. Okay, so last regulatory agenda item for PFAS. We're talking Toxic Substances Control Act. Tell me a little bit about it, Alyssa. Yes, um, so um, slightly like the EPCRA update, Tosca is also receiving a final rule update. This was published on October 11th, and it will become effective this month on the 13th. And um, like EPGRA, they also have um, declined to include a de minimis standard, meaning there is no minimum threshold for PFAS for small manufacturers or um, small operators any longer. And what's interesting about this rule, again, like Alyssa said, another reporting rule, the EPA is very concerned under this this TOSCA mandate, the Toxic Substances Control Act mandate, to understand the scope of PFAS that has been imported into the United States since 2011 
11. They're going to want record keeping on this from manufacturers that have imported and used this going back to 2011. And so we just talked about EPA is still almost, they're, they're really in this data acquisition mode. They're under their unregulated contaminant monitoring rule. They're trying to understand the scope of PFAS and drinking water supplies. And with these additional reporting rules that are in the pipeline, again, they're trying to understand where is the PFAS and, and what are the risks that it poses in relation to the, you know, the, those areas where it's present and those facilities where it's present. So we went through, it looks like we have regulations in the pipeline for PFAS under CERCLA or Superfund. We've got regulations in the pipeline under the Safe Drinking Water Act. We've got regulations in the pipeline under the Emergency Planning Community Right to Know Act and the Toxic Release Inventory Reporting under that. And then we've got additional reporting rules under the Toxic Substances Control Act. And so, True to EPA's announcement that PFAS is now a compliance and enforcement priority with respect to its national compliance and enforcement initiatives for 2024 through 2027, um, and true to that form, they are delivering. They are. What's really interesting here, Alyssa, and I find fascinating, is that back in October of 2021, EPA released something called its PFAS Strategic Roadmap. And it did something that's fairly unprecedented in the, in the environmental administrative law world. They told the regulated community, we are going to regulate PFAS. We're going to regulate it under these federal environmental statutes, e.g. Safe Drinking Water Act, CERCLA. And here's the time frame that we're going to put forth these regulations on. And lo and behold, EPA is staying on schedule with those projections from that 2021 roadmap. And they're like a dog on a bone with PFAS. They've recognized that it has certain, certain of these PFAS have real risks to the environment and to people. And so here we are, end of 2023, stepping into 2024, PFAS continues to be a high priority issue for EPA, and we can expect to continue to see that. So that's it for our show today. I hope you've been enlightened with respect to PFAS. We can talk about this stuff all day. We love a discussion of contaminants and pollution matters, especially these highly charismatic emerging contaminants like PFAS. And we hope to be back again in a short time and continue this environmental and energy law focused podcast and provide you the latest in headlines, maybe make you chuckle every once in a while and just bring you along for a ride that we take a lot of pride in, in educating and advocating for very envi various environmental and energy issues. So thank you for joining us today. Alyssa, you have been a unbelievable co-host here and a, a resource for unbelievable information. And I thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And I know you'll be back and we'll join this podcast community next time. Thank you. 